0: Turn to your Bibles to Ephesians 6, please, Ephesians chapter 6, and we continue our study, uh, if you're visiting from Kansas City. Uh, we started in chapter 1, verse 1, and we moved all of our way through, and here we are finally in chapter 6, verse 1, uh, working through the book of Ephesians here. So we pick up our study, chapter 6, verse 1, this is God's Word. Children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm the music guy at your church, and uh, people will ask me music questions uh, from time to time. Like at Christmas time, I always get uh, questions about what kind of guitar to buy my kid. And uh, I get questions about instruments, and uh, since I fiddle around on a lot of things, I know stuff about reeds, and I know stuff about valve oil for brass instruments and, and other stuff. I got a good working knowledge. And so people will ask me all the time, how do I become a better musician? Or they'll say, how do I get my child to the next level? Uh, my child is in music, and I want to get my child to the next level, musically. And so the short answer that I give them is not, never the answer they want. The answer that they want is, well, uh, just listen to this guy and uh, try to be like him. Or the answer they want is, well, learn these five licks, and uh, then uh, you know, you'll, you'll get better. But the answer I give, my first uh, off-the-hip answer is always... Practice with a metronome, and that sounds like the most boring thing ever because a metronome goes beep, 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 beep. Imagine an hour of that practicing with a metronome. It doesn't sound like that much fun, but practicing with a metronome is the single thing that will elevate your playing more than any others because a lot of people play an instrument. It's a whole different thing to play an instrument with a group of people where you're locking with that group of people, and when you practice with a metronome and you find yourself off time, there ain't no excuses. It's just you who's wrong. The metronome holds the tempo. It's you who's changing. Now, I start that way for two reasons. Number one, uh, as we look at this text, I don't have kids. I I, I am aware of that fact. And uh, I make it a point to be very careful with you not to ever get up here and bark out commands about uh, parenting and you're wild kids in the mall, and uh, why don't you do this? And, uh, you know, I'm not going to do that to you because I'm not the the authority. Um, The second reason I start that way with the metronome is this. We're in the practical part of the book of Ephesians, right? The practical part. The doctrinal part uh, happened uh, all in chapters basically – Primarily in chapters 1 through 3, Paul spells out um, what God has done. I mean, right out of the gate, he's talking about what God has accomplished, what God's purpose was, what God's plan was. And then he talks about our state in chapter 2, that we were dead in trespasses and sins, but God did this thing, and uh, he guides us through that. And then in chapter 3, he's talking about a mystery that's been revealed And um, that he starts talking that we're fellow heirs and there's this doxology and so on. And in chapter four, he begins to transition into this application where he says, I therefore urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. You notice that he doesn't start with that in chapter one, verse one. Hey, do better, everybody. Not at all. He does the opposite of that. He says, here's what God has accomplished on your behalf. Here's how God has equipped you. Therefore, I urge you to go live. There's no urging and commanding before God's equipping. And the implication of that, of course, is that we can do nothing in our own power. So, back to the passage at hand, chapter 6, verse 1. Here we are. We're getting all practical. We've talked about uh, marital biblical roles, and now we're moving on to kids. Oh, good. Because it's confusing, and uh, what are we supposed to do? And all we get are four verses. Right when there's this grand opportunity to become super practical, the only real estate given us in in this letter by the Apostle Paul, when he's specifically talking about application uh, toward the family, is four verses. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have entire parent conferences uh, that take up a, a weekend. You can get on Amazon and buy all kinds of books all day long about parenting and steps and all that kind of stuff. And there are entire ministries dedicated to, uh, to raising children. Well, When the Bible has this big, big opportunity to, to bring it home, basically it says, practice to a metronome. <laughs> Four little verses. All right, so what's the main idea? I think the main idea here out of this uh, passage is this. The parent-child relationship is grounded in the church. Now, that might be a strange way to think about it. I I might have phrased it this way. I might have said, well, the parent-child relationship is grounded in the gospel. That would make sense, wouldn't it? That's true. But I think the context that we're supposed to see is that the parent-child relationship is grounded specifically in the church. So let's look at that together. Uh, First point, a heavenly model. Verse 1, it says this. Look at it. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now listen, I don't know if you ever meditate on Scripture, but uh, meditating on the Scriptures has nothing to do with uh, It has nothing to do with emptying your mind. The Bible never says empty your mind. Never. It says renew your mind. We're to dwell on things. We're to rehearse gospel truths. And so if you were to meditate on this, chapter 6, verse 1, if you were to meditate, I mean some, commit some prayerful, set-aside time or you're just thinking about this, um, I think it would dawn on you sooner or later, if, if, after you just mull verse 1 over in your spirit prayerfully for a while, that uh, you could read verse 1 and take out the middle three words. You could read verse 1 and say, Children, obey your parents, for this is right. You could do that. It would read fine. Would it still be true? In this case, it would still be true. However, the Scriptures are very careful to put something in there that we must not miss. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So you see, in a very... um, uh, concise framework, uh, a, a, an economy of words, uh, we're supposed to be given this great understanding that our households are under God's jurisdiction. Everything about our household is under God's jurisdiction. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, this is not the Apostle Paul writing, um, you know, uh, some uh, hipster bell-bottom friend of your parents. You know, he, it's, he's, he's not the Apostle Paul writing as some... some uh, on par with mom and dad going, now uh, listen to your mom and dad now, you hear? Yeah, that's right, Uh, I'm coming alongside them, listen to your mom and dad. That's not the writer's voice. The writer's voice is above parents and child. The writer's voice is saying, hey children, down there. Hey parents, down there. Y'all down there. There's an authoritative voice. The apostle Paul, but ultimately the Holy Spirit of God, saying, hey, y'all down there. You're under God's jurisdiction. Everything about your household is under God's jurisdiction. He's not just palling around with mom and dad. He's speaking from above. And the point in saying all that is the gospel has to be the basis for everything that happens of any spiritual good in the home. You don't get a long list of helpful hints here. You know, uh, when, when Tammy and I had co- co- the college ministry, in fact, some of y'all were here and you might've even been on the trip, no? Yeah, yeah. Were you on the Fall Creek Falls trip? I don't think you were. Anyway, we took, you know, the junior high goes to Fall Creek Falls and there's always a couple days uh, extra on the front or the backside that we've rented. And so one year, we were, Tammy and I were like, hey, let's take the college group. And uh, we charged them 1850. And that was, just a, that was just a number I pulled out of the air just so we could charge them something because we had gotten, the you know, we, and we, we ate their food. And, I mean, there were some costs, uh, but we charged them 1850 and about 13 college students went. And so Tammy and I go with, and uh, we go to Fall Creek Falls, and, uh, you know, it's a dump. I mean, it's just a gross, disgusting, bug-infested, falling-apart, smelly, musty dump that's awesome for your junior high kids <laughs> because their phones don't work. They're utterly trapped. They're in this little compound in the middle of the woods with rocks and stuff, and, and it's just it's perfect for them. But anyway, so we go with the college group, and I've, I've been to the junior high trip a million times. With the college group, it's totally different because they're like, hey, let's go boulder hopping. So they're off the trail through the woods, and you're like, I'm the leader. Wait for me, you know. And uh, they're all in good shape, and uh, this, is, this, is a long, this is many years ago too. So I'm, I'm bounding around. And anyway, we, we found this trail. And uh, it's this trail along this big, giant, bouldery, I mean, boulders as big as, like, the first five rows of this section over here, giant boulders. And uh, they were going, yeah, there's a, there's a cool way to the falls. We talked to some funky, hippie power, you know, power ranger guy. And uh, so we decided we're going to take this path. And, uh, and what we have to look for are the slippery, rust-colored rocks that go uphill steeply. That, that was the cue. That was what we were supposed to look for. That's the only information we had. And uh, we hiked for what, four hours? And Tammy was crying the whole time. <laughs> she really was. She was like, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. It was just so terrible. And, you know, I'm not making fun of her because now the only way I could do it now is if they carried me in a Lady Gaga pod, you know, over the boulders. <laughs> But back then I was like, this is fun, boink, boink, boink. You know, I was just all over the rocks and stuff. And, but all that to say, I've got a, a crying wife who's, a, you know, I'm like, babe, going back is just as horrible as going forward. Both are, both are terrible options. We might as well go with the people who think, seem to know what they're doing. So we, we went on ahead, but I can't tell you how comforting it was when, when somebody finally said, I think those might be slippery red rocks, when indeed they were. It was a comfort to finally see the milestone. To finally see the landmark that we've been waiting for for a long time, where we didn't even know where it was going to be. It feels good, ladies and gentlemen, to see the landmark. It feels good to see the sign that says, here's where you're supposed to be. It feels good to know that you're on the journey that you're supposed to be on, that you're on the road that's going to take you to your destination. Well, ladies and gentlemen, um, at the end of verse four, it says this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Verse 1 again, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Friends, application for your life, what does this mean? How are we supposed to respond to this? I think the answer is simple. The centrality of the gospel in your home. The centrality of the gospel in your home is linked very closely to the centrality of the church in your lives. If the church is not central in your family lives, then the gospel is very likely not central in the home and in your families. That's why that's so carefully worded, and that last word isn't gospel, it's church. And I'll tell you another reason that last word isn't gospel, it's church, is because that's the context that Paul has just walked out of. He's talking about what God has done, this people that God has made, this people that God has collected, this intention that God has, the plans that God has laid out. It's all in the context of the mystery of the church. And that's where we live as families. So the working question is, Lord, what is your specific will in this instance? That doesn't mean that you have to do Bible drills all day. That doesn't mean that you have to pray before you choose white or wheat at the drive-thru, uh, at, the, at the backyard burger. But it is the joyful, overarching, grateful, willing attitude Uh, that wants to live the way God designed us. And the way we do that is to go to the metronome and say, how are we supposed to live? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Parents, discipline and instruct your children in the Lord. He's speaking the authoritative voice to y'all. All All right, um, next point, obedience and honor. All right, so you want a couple big items? Here are a couple big items, obedience and honor. Um, it says in verse 1, children, obey your parents. So you want an immediate application? It comes right away. Uh, you know what the kid's job is? Hey, go have fun today. Yeah, that's, that's, that's your job. Go have fun today. Go, let's have a fun day. But you know what the big job is? Obey mom and dad. That's big job number one, obey mom and dad. And um, now the the interesting thing about that, the obedience-respect relationship, is that it's reciprocal. If God is saying, children, obey your parents, look at it, for this is right. Who's saying for this is right? The authoritative voice. There's a right way to do it, says the authoritative voice. There's a wrong way to do it, says the authoritative voice. So if it's right for children to obey their parents, it's also right for parents to expect their children to obey and for parents to make their children obey. It's right. Now, that doesn't mean there's, there's, a, it's, there's a magical cure because uh, you can try and try and try and have all kinds of problems that are unexpected. But um, what I'm saying to you is uh, the burden falls to the parents to make sure the thing happens just as the kids are called to accountability. It is their job to obey. It is your job to see that they obey. Now, listen to this. Um, <laughs> this, is, uh, this, is, uh, this is a guy who's quoting a guy. All right, and he's, he's, I got, I, the guy is, quote, he's guy is writing about what it was to be a Roman in Jesus' time, in Paul's time. All right, so this is the way families were structured in Roman times. And this, this is just a good insight as to how effective the gospel can be in reaching out to this world. A Roman father had absolute power over his family. He could sell them as slaves. He could make them work in his fields, even in chains. He could take the law into his own hands, for law was in his own hands. And he could punish as he liked. He could inflict the death penalty on his child. Further, the power of the Roman father extended over the child's whole life. So long as the father lived, a Roman son never came of age. That will rock your mind, won't it? I mean, some of you guys... That, that have grown up with difficult dads, I mean, can you imagine being under his jurisdiction his whole life? I mean, that, that's, a, that's a heavy burden. And uh, there were even instances where uh, Roman men would go, you know what, it's a daughter, just give her away. And they'd give her away because that was the way the culture was structured. So imagine Christianity coming along. Imagine women who were thought of as, as a very low uh, part of society all of a sudden elevated to an equal image-bearer, as was the plan from the beginning of creation. Imagine what that looked like. Imagine what it looked like for Paul to write something like this, children, obey your parents and the Lord, but then to turn around and say, hey, dads, don't provoke your children to anger. Are you kidding me? That's not the Roman way, but it's the Christian way. Can you imagine what it would have been like to see a family structured that way in that time? Well, I'll tell you this. Can you imagine what it is today? People visibly watching um, husbands and wives deal with one another in a biblical way. I mean, it's startling um, the way parents deal with kids. In fact, honestly, our problem is the opposite of the Roman way. It's not that dad has consummate control and and uh, and all that, and the, and the kids don't have rights. It's completely flipped the other way, where dad's just this bumbling moron who just comes home, brings his check home, and here everybody here's some money. He gets no respect in the home. Nobody cares about him. Can make commercials make him look like a big fool, and uh, the parents follow the kids around like dopes. Whatever they oh, oh they don't believe their teachers anymore. I mean, talk to an educator. Who's an educator in here? I mean, you remember the days where you would say, Mrs. Johnson, your son uh, stole a... a pen. My son wouldn't do something like that. Oh, really? Did you not notice that he's a liar? Right to your face all the time? You had nothing to pick up on that? All right, I better get back to my notes. Um, <laughs> you know, verse 1... <laughs> It says, Children, obey your parents. And out of the 21 plus translations I looked at, every single one uses the word obey. Obey. It's not, we'll get along. We'll let's talk it out. We'll let's dialogue. I must know the reasons behind all your decisions. You, they don't need it. Their job is to obey, and nothing could be clearer in the scriptures than that. But again, it goes both ways. It's right for the child to obey. That means it's also right for the parent to cause the child to obey. Um, That's not going to say it's going to happen magically, um, but uh, it is to say that's what health looks like. In fact, uh, the fifth commandment is even quoted. Honor your father and mother. And he puts in parentheses, by the way, this is the first commandment with a promise. And Then here's the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. That's from Exodus 20. Uh, It's the first one with a promise. Uh, In other words, uh, children are reverent to their parents. Now, application for your life. Um, you've heard me say before that my wife is not number one with me. She's number two. And uh, that's, that's the kind of love she wants. She doesn't want my crummy, earthly love. She wants me to say, God, how do you want me to love her? And then, I, then I, now I'm submitting to him. Now I'm not the boss of what love is supposed to look like. He is. That's the kind of love she wants. Well, guess what? Your kids ain't number one either, man. They don't take, they don't take pole position. God's intent for them does. He's number one. Spouse is number two. Those kids file in underneath. Um, and, and you say, okay, well, h- how do you make kids revere us? How do you make kids honor us? Um, I, don't know the, I don't know the answers. I, again, I don't have kids. But I can tell you this. I can give you two-couple quick, easy hows that are not hard to back up with scriptures. Um, Dad, when you come home, let him grab your leg. Let him go, Daddy. But as that happens, drag him along to Mom and go straight to her wherever she is and give her a big kiss on the lips. Gross. <laughs> Mom, when Dad comes home, jump up in front of them all. Uh, Daddy, out of my way. Boom. Uh. And uh, go French him at the door, you know, just (laughs) go get him. But if you want to love those kids well, show those kids that they ain't number one. They're number three. Show those kids that dad's number two. Dads, show those kids at mom's number two. Kids, come after that. If you want to love them well, start there. That's a very easy thing to support in the Scriptures, just by the way God created things. Um, second thing, and uh, we'll get off of this. Uh, this and one thing. All Britons are in the other service. I'm about to quote them. But um, the second thing is this. Be a unified front at all times. Never undercutting the other. Ladies, Daddy doesn't need to know about these boots. Stop that. If you think that's healthy, if you think that's loving your kids, you're not loving them, you're hurting them. Because mom and dad aren't a unified front. Dad, listen, mom's just a little crazy. Stop that. You think you're palling around being a chum, but what are you doing? You're breaking the unified front. You want to love them well, you got to do it like that. The All-Britons, like I say, they're, they're, they're blowing off class today. They're in the same, But you, do you remember their quote? We had them up here on a marriage panel one time, and they, their two daughters are sitting right there. And uh, they said, do you remember what we told you? And they both said at the same time, we're welcome additions to an already existing family. That's what you need to tell your kids. Uh, Don't tell them they're number one. Say, you know what? You're a welcome addition. Welcome. We're so glad to have you. You're an addition to an already existing family. We lived without you. And here you are. That's healthy. All right. Uh, Last point. Provocation, discipline, and instruction. All three words right from the passage. Um, Look at verse four. Fathers... This is fascinating. Do not provoke your children to anger. Now, other translations have this. Do not stir up uh, anger. Uh, The NIV, if you've got an NIV, it says fathers don't exasperate your children. Now, we have to be very clear here, ladies and gentlemen. Exasperation or provoking or stirring up a child to anger doesn't mean that they're annoyed. Oh, I don't like your decision, Daddy. That doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean that you said something that they didn't like. Rather, it refers to something that's unjust. That's why it's in there. It's not saying, Fathers, don't annoy your child. Oh, go ahead and annoy them. Their their job is to obey, even if they're annoyed by it. But it says, Don't provoke them. Don't exasperate them. Don't stir them to anger. Stir them to anger mm, unnecessarily because it's sinful. There's a, there's, a, there's a thrust to that. And uh, that means, ladies and gentlemen, a couple things. It means that parents can act unjustly and make mistakes and sin against their children. And it also means that children are image bearers too. And that brings us back to the whole Roman thing. Children are image bearers too. Children are important. Children are precious to God. Uh, they're not just little throwaways, uh, and God holds you accountable. And an uh, application for your life is this, that knowing uh, this kind of thing as Christians frees you. It frees you to be able to apologize to your children when you make a mistake. You know what, son? Daddy sinned against you, and here's how Daddy sinned against you. Uh, it doesn't mean that parents have carte blanche over their kids. It means they have to answer to God. And when they've transgressed, they have to come to their kids and say, Son, I'm so sorry. I sinned against you and I, I have to ask you for your forgiveness. What what affords you that? But the beauty of the gospel. But reporting to someone who's got an authoritative voice above yours. All right, we wrap it up with this. As I said, I don't have a lifetime of parenting skills. I don't have a lifetime of advice. I don't have a lifetime of experience. I don't have a lifetime of accumulated wisdom. But what I have been given by the Lord, which has just been so kind, is to have close relationships that I think have kind of helped me along. That I have friends who share with me what's going on with their kids, and I'm burdened with their kids, and I'm praying for their kids, and I'm worried when their daughter tries to date somebody. And uh, I try to feel all those things. And And uh, that doesn't make me an authority. I I only mention it to say this, ladies and gentlemen. The Bible um, doesn't have the word autism in it. The Bible doesn't have the word Adderall in it. Uh, The Bible doesn't have the word bullying in it. The Bible doesn't have some uh, wonderful proverb about oppressive shyness that that is just really a problem in debilitating that sweet child of yours. There's not a specific word for it. Um, The Bible doesn't uh, talk about uh, eating disorders. Eh, Indirectly it could, but um, the Bible doesn't talk about, how about this? The Bible doesn't talk about a tearful drive home after you drop your freshman off in the dorm room for the first time. There's not a verse on that. What it does give you, though, is a constant. It gives you a kind of a metronome, and the metronome is the gospel, and the framework of that gospel is Christ's church. The implication is that Christ has made a church for himself, and he wants that church to function a certain way. This gathered, redeemed people all clustered together in what's called a church family, God calls us his father, and he calls us his children. We're to call each other brothers and sisters. It's very familial. And in verse one, four, chapter 4, verse 1, if you would look at it real quickly, it says this, I therefore, because all the stuff that God's done, <clears throat> because he's made this people, this family, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience and bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. All of that, beloved, has to do with being image bearers. All of that has to, be, has to uh, do with God's saving us, God taking a marred, ruined, affected, blinded, tragic uh, situation with sinners, and redeeming it by this Savior Shepherd so that restoration would be brought about in his flock and in the world. The parent-child relationship is thus grounded in the church. Let's pray. Our Father, it uh, is a treasured thing to us that we have been instructed to call you our Heavenly Father. And uh, we're supposed to think of you in terms of your nurturing us as a heavenly father, um, as a mama chick who protects her young, um, as a shepherd who cares for a flock, um, as a lover of souls, and as a uh, groom to a bride. These are staggering things, um, but, they're, but they're ways you try to communicate to us the intimacy we have with you. We thank you for that, Lord. We pray, I pray, Father, for this room, that you would steady us, Lord, that you would show our souls that you belong in the first position, that moms and dads as a marital unit belong in the second position, and that kids come underneath, and only with that healthy uh, layout can we be operating in your good and pleasing and perfect will. Whatever form that takes, Lord, all we ask is that you be the metronome, that you click away in the power of the Spirit in the ministry of your Word, and that you bring us in alignment with that tempo. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, you guys.